Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Thank you. The first two verses give us this picture of something we can't even imagine. Outside of time, darkness, chaos, void, except that God's there, so it's true, not truly chaotic. And he says, let there be light, and it's not the sun or the moon. And he says, and there was evening and morning the first day. I don't know if you get a calendar every year. I mean, for us now, it's always on the, on the phone or the computer. And you open it up and you see the, the photo up there. I love it when we get family photos, you know, that, that do it. And there's January 1st. No, this is the first day. God lives outside of time. And he created measuring time for us. I I was reading the other day that it's only about three and a half centuries ago that mankind began to talk about living in a century. The quote was, you never hear Cromwell say, well, come on, guys, this is the 17th century after all. People didn't think about it like that. When Julius Caesar was dealing with lunar calendars, solar calendars, local calendars, every Roman city had its own calendar and its own way of counting days and let's call them months. And he, he, he took one of his experts and said, you got to fix this. This man's, and I can't say his name, Sasagenes or something like that, had to add 65 days. Half of them went in between November and December in the Julian calendar, and half of them went into February which might sound like hell to a lot of people. To put, if you're going to put them anywhere, why couldn't you put them in May? You know? But that's, imagine living in a time when, when you had to add 65 days to the year to get things right. That sounds like chaos to me. Well, God has given us a way of ordering our lives by something bigger that, and and that's, what, that's what people who write about calendars talk about, is that we need calendars because they help us order our days by something larger than ourselves. And it might be the soccer team or music camp schedule that's going to happen or something like that. But God has, whoop, what did I do with this? God gave his people a calendar that looks like... Uh, it looks like this. This is the Old Testament mosaic from Moses. Um, I, and I've got the mosaic ones that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai in those ovals that are kind of beige-ish, okay? The two blue, the ha- um, Hanukkah and Purim, come later. So we're just going to think about those. That's the Jewish liturgical calendar from the very beginning, okay? Now, There is a rhythm to life. If you think about a calendar, you get to the end and you know something new will begin. For the Jews, 
And you've got this on your handout, so you can see two. Passover was the first day. Who's got Exodus 12, 1 to 3? And if you would, raise your paddle, and <laughs> Pat will run over there. Thank you. Now comes the fight, the paddle fight, to find out who's going to have to breathe. This is, they're, they're, the children of Israel aren't even called the children of Israel yet. They're, well, yes, they are. They're in Egypt. They are slaves, and they are headed out from Egypt after the Passover, where the angel of death came as that final plague. And unless you had the blood over your doorposts, you, your oldest son would die. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Thank you. The first day of a new calendar. They'd been living probably by the Egyptian calendar. And he said, oh, no, life's starting over because I'm rescuing you and bringing you out of Egypt. And so Passover and for seven days unleavened bread. And then the day after the second Sabbath in that unleavened bread season, there would be the festival of first fruits. Something, something's in the spring ground that had grown and they would offer. Not a big offering, a small offering, but the first fruits. So Passover is the first. Then Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish festival. It celebrates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It's the birthday of Judaism. Like we say, it's the, birth, the Pentecost for us is the birthday of the Christian church. Now, they celebrate that. And then Rosh Hashanah which we think of as New Year, with trumpets blowing. And I wish we could go into all these, but we can't. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then, booths or tabernacle, the last day of the, um, of the Jewish liturgical year, they think of as booths. And I, I want to read to you what my, um, oops, let me get there. But one commentator writes about this, and then we're going to hear. So whoever's got Zechariah, let Pat know. Zechariah, yeah, okay. So Nigel has it. Listen to this. Zechariah is in chapters 12 to 14, and we're just going to hear two verses from 14. But 12 to 14, Zechariah, he's one of the last prophets. He's living in the time of Darius I of Persia. This is after the exile. They've come, the Jews have come back and rebuilt Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the temple, and the prophets at that point are telling the people what's going to be coming, and there's a lot of talk of gloom and doom for the nations around who had been the enemies of Israel. But from 12 to 14, Zechariah begins to use a term like Isaiah uses. Isaiah talks about the day of the Lord. It means the end, okay? The big time coming. Zechariah says, in that day. And, and my text note said, this, this verse, uh, this, this section, chapters 12 to 14, as a whole, is meant to bridge the gap 
between the world of the author and the readers and an expected future in which the kingship of the Lord over all the earth will be clearly manifested and acknowledged by all. The Jewish calendar goes from rescue from slavery all the way around to dwelling with God forever, with everyone saying he is king. Let's hear from, from, from um, I'm sorry, I called you Nigel. David, David, thank you. Just those two verses from Zechariah. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Then everyone who survives all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths. Um, the, the Jewish people were required to make huts, tents, little buildings outside, okay, and dwell there for the whole feast to remind them of the rescue they'd had and how they were dwelling with God. That's what we have in the Mosaic worship site. And, and I want to propose that a churchly calendar, a worship calendar, is really a story of God calendar. And that what we are going to be invited to do is enter into part of that in Lent in three weeks, get into the rhythm of a story of God. And look again. It goes from rescue at Passover through many feasts and festivals that mean lots and fasts to the idea of dwelling forever with God. Now, you've got on your handout, I can find my handout, um, we have a, uh, I've got a quote, Will Durant, next to your mosaic worship cycle. And, it, and this Will Durant, story of civilization, the books take about this much space on our bookshelf. I haven't read them all. I only use the index and look for things that I'm interested in. But here's what he says about the Jewish Bible. He says, in a sense, and he's not writing as a Christian, he's a historian. And in a sense, we have here not mere history, but philosophy of history. This, the Hebrew scripture text, is the first recorded effort of man to reduce the multiplicity of past events to a measure of unity by seeking in them some pervading purpose and significance, some law of sequence and causation, some illumination for the present and the future, something about purpose and significance. The Jewish people were asked to enter into the rhythm of a story of God calendar that would help them understand their own purpose, their own significance, and get some illumination, not only for living life today, but for what the future would hold. Now, on your sheets, you also have a story of God calendar of the Christian church. And it's very similar in fact, the first three, three and a half centuries of Christianity, Passover, Good Friday, Easter, was the beginning 
of the calendar. Today we say Advent is the beginning of the church calendar. That happened somewhere in the fourth century or maybe even a little later because in the fourth century we know, get this, that a chronograph, a calendar, a graph, writing, chrono, time, lists, oh, I have to get my phone to do this because I want to read it to you. And I, and I copied the words exactly. From 354 AD, the chronograph of Rome reads, December 25th, Natus Christus in Bethlehem, Judec, the birth of the Christ in Bethlehem of Judea was a holiday. In 10 years or so before that, in another list like that, they say that December 25th was the start of the Christian liturgical year. So we pushed it back from December 25th to somewhere around Thanksgiving for Advent. But for the first 300 or so years, the same kind of time frame the same thinking, needing a rescue from an angel of death, a blood sacrifice that moves through some days, okay? And the first fruits of the resurrection is what Paul calls Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Happens when? On a Sunday just like the first fruits for the Jews were offered. This offering came on a Sunday. So then we move into the Easter season. In those first centuries in the church, they they fasted often. They knelt in prayer, but they never knelt and they never fasted in the Easter season. From Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday, because they said, this is such good news, we have to celebrate. And then we go around through Pentecost and all those holidays that we get in the fall, moving to Christ the King Sunday. And for us now, Advent is the beginning, Christmas, Epiphany, and the Lenten season. But the same kind of idea that we are moving in some sort of a rhythm that gives us purpose and significance. And Alexander Schmemann, in in the quote box next to the Christian worship cycle, He's an Orthodox priest, I think, uh, writing on Lent, says, Lent is not to force on us a few formal obligations, but to soften our heart so that it may open itself to the realities of the spirit, to experience the hidden thirst and hunger for communion with God. Those who think of church services only in terms of obligations who always inquire about the required minimums, how often must we go to church or how often must we pray, can never understand the true nature of worship, get this, which is to take us into a different world. A different world of that of God's presence. But to take us there slowly because our fallen nature has lost the ability to exceed there naturally. Schmemann is saying that living in a calendar where we get a rhythm of moving from celebrations or moving out of a fasting time, a time of thinking about sin and into a season of celebration, 
takes us into another world. And maybe another world is kind of sometimes what we need when we think about life as it can get. I mean, when we were young, they talk, we talked about a rat race. I don't hear that term as much. I hear a lot of tyranny of the urgent. I hear a lot of time. We don't have time. Everything speeds up so much. We don't have any time. We are called to find a rhythm in life that offers us another world. So th that's what we're talking about. This, not that we would have another obligation, but we have an invitation into time with Jesus. That's what Lent can offer us, and that's what those seasons are intended to offer us. Now, if you turn your hand, um, what is it called, handout over, keep losing things. Here we go. Now we're going to talk about beyond the idea of finding rhythm in a spiritual walk, we're going to talk about balance between discipline and freedom. Because you heard, you heard Schmemann say it, you know, people think, oh, what are you just trying to give me another obligation, another thing I have to do? In fact, Luther writes about that, and he says, no, not at all, not at all. We're talking about love. That's what we're talking about. So let's, let's look at some of these. Let's look at a few of these little proof texts, and then we'll get into Romans 14 in about five, six minutes. But under discipline, we know that the earliest church, and even before the earliest church, Jesus and his disciples, but then the earliest church and apostles, observed the Jewish worship calendar. So we've got a few verses that just kind of quickly show that to us. Who's got Acts 20 verse 6? <laughs> there you go, Pat. Thank you. <clears throat> but we sailed away from Philippi after this is the... Pa yeah, Paul and Luke and Paul. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Okay. So, first of all, Luke and Paul are observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I think we're going to flip these and do, who's got, does anyone have Acts 2, 1? Oh, good. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> when the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together. This is the very beginning of the day of Pentecost narrative. And it's because we find out that the apostles are in Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus has just died, yes, but they are there with thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundred thousands of Jewish pilgrims. I mean, Jewish pilgrims who come because if you if you look at that little mosaic worship cycle anything that has an asterisk and there are three of those festivals all males all jewish males were supposed to go to jerusalem so jerusalem is full of those pilgrims but luke makes sure that we know it was the day of pentecost that those apostles were in jerusalem um acts 20, 16. Who's got that? Aha, very good. Thanks, John. 
For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. So the Apostle Paul, on a missionary journey, wants to book it to Jerusalem because he, the Apostle who will write about freedom in Christ, wants to be there for that special day. They were observing a discipline of observing the Jewish feasts. Do we have 2411? Does somebody have extra? Oh, John, great. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. Yep. So again, he's seeking to be there in Jerusalem. We, we won't go to the 1 Corinthians 5. That is Paul writing about living a life and, and uh, making sure that we get rid of sin, and he talks about it in terms of the unleavened bread of the Passover and the unleavened bread feast. So that's what that was. We won't take time to go there now. But what we see is an early church that said, we still need discipline. Jesus came and has freed us, rescued us from slavery to sin. But there's a disciplined life that we're offered. In fact, where's that thing? We know from this book written in the early fourth century, Apostolic Constitutions. None of the apostles wrote it, obviously. This is the fourth century, but they're talking about this. A catalog of the feasts of the Lord, which are to be kept, and when each of them ought to be observed. So this definitely sounds like. This is an obligation. Okay. So, brethren, observe the festival days. First of all, the birthday, which you are to celebrate on the 25th of the ninth month, but that's going to be December. After which, let the epiphany be to you the most honored. Then down, you see, after which, the fast of Lent in red. But let this solemnity be observed before the fast of the Passover, beginning from the second day of the week. A whole list of how to observe these holy days we are talking oh i hope i didn't do something here okay good we're talking about (laughs) finding balance in spiritual life and we don't only want to hear about obligation we want to hear about freedom and think through over these next weeks how can we find a balance in those so we're going to go to romans 14 and we're going to read 12 verses. And I don't think I, I put that on. Did I put that on a paddle? Does anybody have Romans 14? I don't think so. It was such a long reading. I thought I would just take it from here. Romans 14, verses 1 to 12. Unless I have someone who would like to read it. Somebody who would like to, doesn't mind reading 12 verses? I hated to put a paddle with 12 verses. Somebody, Peter, Peter, are you willing to read? Oh, I thought you were. I'm sorry. I'm not trying. I know you read well. (laughs) Okay, good. Good. That's wonderful. So, yeah, that's great. If you would read and we'll listen. And what we want to listen for is what is Paul telling those Romans that might help them find balance in a spiritual walk? Thank you, Peter. 
As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you, Peter, for reading that long one. What did you hear? I mean, what did you hear about Paul's advice to us on balancing discipline and freedom? Yeah, well, we'll wait. Faster. What is discipline for one person might be freedom for another, or vice versa. Yeah, and we're not talking, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about discipline like spanking. We're talking about discipline like rigor. Practice. Yeah, Yeah, right, yeah. But that's an interesting way to think of it, yeah. That what might be discipline for one is what? Freedom for the other. Anybody else? What did you hear about his advice to us? What about this slavery imagery that's here? What do you think he's talking about? Yeah, David? (laughs) Next week, we'll have the one who's going to speak run to the mic. (laughs) What I got from this passage is Paul's essential I, I kind of sum up some things are worth arguing over and some things aren't. Ah. Um, and the slavery, it's like, you know, if 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 uh, Pat's my servant. Claire, you don't tell him what to do. All right. I'm going to tell him what to do. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a slave to God, it's not for anybody else to tell him how he's supposed to act. Now, like I said, there's some things that are worth arguing over, but, you know. Which day of the week you do, which food you eat, that's not a major point. Yeah. And I think there's a challenge sometimes in society we try and get too legal 
Mystic on some of these things. Right, right. It really kind of brings in an organization chart, doesn't he? You know, who do you report to? Uh, don't you don't get to tell your fellow worker what he should do? Yeah, thank you. That's that's so true. But some things are worth arguing about. You're saying anything else? Anybody heard? You know, when Peter. When Peter was um, called, sent to Joppa, Peter, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, sent to Joppa where the prophet Jonah sailed from. Peter gets a vision. He's staying with um, a righteous Gentile, a a God-fearer, but not a believer. Um, He's staying at... Earlier, he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and a Jew wouldn't usually do that. He's gone to Joppa, and he has a vision. And God, in the next 10, throws down all sorts of food that the Jewish law would tell him he couldn't eat. And God's voice says, get up and eat. And he says, I can't. I can't. This happens over and over again. And God finally says, what I call clean, you don't get to call unclean. God somehow is telling Peter things are changing. And I'm not saying that the Jew necessarily was going to stop eating those foods. Some of those Jews did stop. Commentators argue about whether Paul is talking to, uh, is talking about pagan rules, religious rules, or Jewish but most commentators will say, no, he, he's addressing those Jewish prohibitions about eating. And Peter, in Acts 10, very early in the missionary days of the church, is told, I am bringing the gospel to everyone, and don't let food get in the way. And that's going to be very important for the growth of the church. And then it's, I mean, Peter and Paul are going to have to wrestle with what are those boundaries. So let's, let's hear Luther. I was mentioning Luther again. Um, he writes in the commentary on Romans 14. He, of course, he's coming out of medieval Roman Catholicism with so many do's and don'ts. So, so very many do's and don'ts and what you eat and when you eat it or what you don't eat and when, and when you have to be somewhere and what you have to do when you're there in that worship space. And, and Luther is writing about these, these words we just heard read. And he says, so, you know, we don't, we don't have to live like that. He says, on the contrary, every day is a feast day kind of like Easter season there for the early church, and a holy day. And every kind of food is permitted. All is free. And only humility, love, and what else the apostle inculcates must be observed. He says, but so what? Should we then confirm this idea? Should we abolish all churches, all ornaments, all liturgical acts of service, all sacred places, all fast and holy days? In the next paragraph, he answers, by no means. In contrast to this error, the the Roman Catholic, medieval Roman Catholic error, 
stands that which the apostle Paul himself taught and did. For he circumcised Timothy. He offered sacrifices and purified himself in the temple. So then all things are free, but so that a Christian out of love may willingly vow to offer this or that sacrifice to God. All things are free. Maybe when you were growing up, well, we grew up in Chicago, and so you had the Irish Catholics and you had the Polish Catholics, and restaurants knew they had to have a lot of fish on Friday. Okay, that, that's just what was good. Right, right. I don't, know if we, I don't know if we see that quite as much today, but when we were growing up in a very Catholic city, that's what it was like. In that Catholic city, our college roommates grew up and lived in the suburbs. And I can't remember what event it was. Oh, I know. It was Howard. Jean's, Jean's, um, they married, Howard and Sue, um, godparents to one of our daughters. And Howard's father, after Howard's mom died, they, they were faithful Catholics. Howard's dad went to live in a retirement home with priests and nuns. It was, it was where he would have wanted to be. I mean, he loved his home there. Well, then he died, and the funeral was on a Friday. And Howard and Sue had decided on a very nice restaurant, and they were going to serve, was it filet mignon? I think it was, yeah, on a Friday. And so Susan, now Susan, our friend Susan, had been a, a Catholic school teacher, and then she rose to be like head of curriculum in the education department of the whole Joliet diocese. I mean, Susan had talked to the young priest, not the older priest, not the senior priest, and told him to make an announcement after the funeral service in the in the Catholic church, in the you know, in the church, and said that everyone here was invited to go to dinner and that they had been given dispensation to eat meat. The older priest had whipped around, looked at the younger priest who just kind of stood there like. Susan told us, those priests and nuns never get filet mignon in their retirement home. We're having filet mignon. And this is the, you know, is my dispensation. Susan understood the difference between discipline and freedom. And, you know, she, she knew that every day is a holy day. Susan observed Lent. She always does. I mean, she, she's an observant Catholic. She understood that what that funeral was celebrating was life in God, that Howard's father had lived. And she believed that those old priests and nuns could take a Friday and eat some filet mignon, and they did. <laughs> okay, a balance and a freedom that was that we observed there and i and i just loved it so as we think about where we're going in a lenten season I, you know i think maybe it's your turn uh, maybe maybe you're someone who has usually observed lent maybe you're someone who isn't but i'm wondering next week we're going to talk about disciplines we're we're especially going to talk about fasting 
But the disciplines of Lent, we're going to talk about the origins of Lent. But today we've just kind of gotten that introduction to a rhythm in life that lets us find something larger than ourselves to live in, a story of God. And I'm wondering, and I'm wondering for myself also, where the Lenten season might lead me in some sort of discipline in a balance with freedom. But I'm wondering if any of you have observed Lent or maybe another season in the church year in a way that helps your spiritual life. And if you'd be willing to share with us, because I think Pat still has that microphone. Anybody want to share? What is something you do differently in, it can be any church season, that, that has shaped you, that has helped you to grow as a Christian? Peter. Intentional memorization of uh, scripture. Okay, so so elaborate on that. Tell us, tell us, like how you what 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 you do then in order to intentionally memorize. How how do you go about that? Well, I I'm particularly fond of the Psalms. Okay, and I won't. Take the real long songs, <laughs> but you know something. Step that's, one: look yeah, at how many that's of reasonable length. Yeah, and uh, just slowly commit it to memory, and then you know make it part of uh, a daily routine to to uh, not only add it to prayers, but just to say it. Uh, and I guess the inspiration for that was uh, a lesson we had uh, here at church where. The point was made uh, when Christ was being tempted, what did he do? He pulled out things that, that he knew from, from Scripture. And in order to do that, you have to know something from Scripture. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, well, I, I'm, there must be something in, in the Bible that addresses that. Uh, I think as Pastor has said, being able to pull out a verse that... Uh, addresses a particular situation, it's important to know that. So you know, that and, and, and other prayers that that uh, folks from Scripture have have uh, memorized or have spoken that are cited as very important prayers. For instance, uh, just recently worked on the prayer that Daniel said uh, when uh, he and his uh, friends went to the Lord and said, please tell us the dream uh, so that uh, the king won't uh, kill all the wise men. And as you, you memorize it, you know, I find it becomes more personalized. I can kind of sense the feeling that, that Daniel and his friends had or maybe David had. So anyway, you ask, you know, what have I done? Yeah, thank That's you, Peter. Yeah, and you even gave us the fruit of it, the, how it's helped you. Thank you. Anybody else? What? Pat? Sandra? Thank you. Um, our family celebrates Lent, um, but we also celebrate Passover, which falls really nicely in there. We We typically celebrate Passover not on the Jewish calendar, but we celebrate Passover on Thursday before Easter. Um, and it really for me and I hope for my children, has kind of just um, 
really helped to solidify the um, the way that the New Testament and the Old Testament just are really one unit. There's, you know, sometimes I think there's this, you know, Christians kind of go, well, you know, we live in the Old Testament, not so much, or the New Testament, not so much the Old Testament, but really just draws it all together and has made it seem like it's just one cohesive unit, you know, that God started at the beginning and there wasn't, you know, some division in his mind. It was all just history. Everything was leading up to Christ and Passover, you know, was, there's all, so much symbolism of Christ in Passover and he celebrated Passover um, before Good Friday. And so it just really makes it all seem like one cohesive unit, one story, you said. Um, and that has really been meaningful for us. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else have something that's meaningful for you? Well, we're going to talk about things in these next, the next two weeks that might be places that Lent might lead us. Um, if we look at our, our handouts on that other side, side two, I have for us in the purplish box an invitation for personal reflection. And again, this is an invica- invitation. This is not an obligation. But we are going to be looking at Hebrews 12 next week. And so if you take your hand out, I don't have it up on the screen. Take your hand out and find that, per- that lilac box. And let's read the, the Hebrews 12, 2 verse together and hear this invitation. Oh, come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where we're going, okay? We're going on a journey with Jesus towards the cross. So I'm suggesting that over these next three weeks, hopefully hearing some of the texts that talk about this, thinking about that rhythm and that balance, um, learning a little bit about the disciplines, the origins, the practices, the prayers, And also, then I have a suggestion, which I'll do each week too, and that is something, if you haven't got something that right now is pulling you into a time of reflection, I'm I'm suggesting that you read Romans 5, 1 to 11, maybe even every day, and take the opportunity to identify. And these are going to be the ways I hope we'll think over these next weeks in this pre-game show where we're thinking about strategy and we're thinking about the characters and we're thinking about what we hope to see happen. That maybe we're able to, and I, and I have this here for me too, to identify burdens in life that need lifting. Somebody in the morning class said that taking a time she was using, I think it was portals of prayer, but it was a, it was a, um, a devotional guide. She said, this is really important to me to take this time with the Lord because she just felt sometimes life gets too heavy. Life gets, can push us down. And she found real freedom in taking that time. And I think that's what can happen. Burdens that need lifting, ways of living that need renouncing. Let's face it. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I've got all sorts of ways I live that I probably need to maybe sharpen up and renounce and maybe outcomes in growth you desire. Then consider, then consider when you get to Lent, 
adopting or adapting one or two Lenten practices that might offer you a fresh start, like Pastor's been talking about, um, in some time and energy spent with the Lord. Um, If you are part of a life group, you will be receiving, or maybe you already have, the Red Letter Challenge, a 40-day devotional, very easy to work through, but with themes that will take us through. If you're not part of a life group, out in the, and, and you're currently a member of King of Glory, there are our tables with bags with your family name on it to pick up your copy of the Red Letter Challenge, the church's gift to you. And all during Lent, we will be going through the Red Letter, cha- the, red letter the Words of Jesus in some Bibles, um, going through the Red Letter Challenge together. Sermons, Bible studies, Wednesdays, classes, all will focus on the Red Letter Challenge. So I would offer that to you. And I had, with the morning class, but someone has cleaned it up, a, li- a, a handout. I'll make sure we get more for next week with some other options that you might want to try. Uh, inexpensive devotional things, maybe things that come into your email. Some Oh, somebody mentioned Lutheran Hour Ministries. There's our seminary um, president, David Ma- David Meyer. Yeah, David Meyer has a, a, a day... A, minute with Meyer or something like that that's called things that are not necessarily expensive. So I would urge you to think about that, and I'll bring that sheet. They were on the chair over there when I left this morning, but someone, this place has got too many helpers, and things get cleaned up so easily. Okay, um, we have three minutes. Any comments, any, any, anything you, that you would like to say to this group that, that, has to do with what we're talking about today. If, if not, let's go to our closing prayer. I think it's on here. Yes. And this is from the, this is, in fact, we may hear this prayed in church the first Sunday in Lent. This is from not only a Lutheran church, you can find it probably in the Book of Common Prayer, which is quite old. So pray with me. Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church, that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.